Since the pandemic, most employers, including school districts, are having a hard time finding workers for open positions. As a result, many school districts are turning to private staffing companies. You know, you're right, Rich. Historically, schools have used outsourced candidates for non-instructional positions, such as bus drivers, food workers, and janitorial workers. But more and more, my clients are using outsourced teachers, including substitute teachers and special education teachers, to educate students. On this episode of The Legal Lunchroom, we take a look at the pros and cons of outsourcing and offer some guidance to school officials looking to take that route. I'm Rich Campbell. And I'm Jonathan Huerta. We're attorneys with the Kingsbury Law Firm in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Welcome to The Legal Lunchroom. Each episode, we'll be looking at the laws that affect school boards, administrators, students, and our community. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're joined by education attorneys Avery Smith and Jody Mooney. Avery serves as chair of the Kingsbury Employment Law Practice Group, working with both private and public sector clients to assist in all employment matters. And prior to joining King Spry, attorney Jody Mooney spent a number of years with the Pennsylvania State Education Association, so she has a wealth of experience from both sides of the aisles as it relates to labor negotiations. Ladies, thanks so much for joining me today to talk about some of the lingering employment issues in a post, if we can truly say that, COVID world. Just generally speaking, do you find that there are still a lot of lingering issues from COVID? One of the issues that I think we are dealing with is the, the fact that the workforce has changed, a lot of people have decided that they no longer want to work in some traditional roles that they may have held before COVID. And that has really impacted employers in terms of their workforce and certain benefits that uh, employees may request when they come onto the workforce. And also the loyalty, if you will, that an employee may have to a company, given how thoughts and perspectives have changed since the pandemic. What about during the pandemic? Did you see a rise in grievances and things that we're just now getting to to resolve? We certainly saw a lot of grievances during COVID that were related specifically to leave during COVID. And a lot of those things were luckily able to be resolved in a short period of time because as things evolved with the pandemic and schools were reopening, the federal uh, FFCRA, the leave that entitlement ended at the end of 2020, I believe it was, we knew or hoped that some of those things wouldn't come up again in a post-COVID world. So we were able to work with the unions to resolve a lot of those grievances that had to do with uh, leave entitlement. But some of those grievances and arbitrations we are still seeing crop up right now. You know, arbitrations can take several years to resolve themselves. And when they're discipline-related There were huge gaps in time during COVID where employees weren't necessarily coming in regularly. If they were on a hybrid schedule, they were working from home. And so it became difficult to create a fluid timeline of of discipline um, and communication with the employee during that period of time. And so now those delayed disciplinary issues and arbitrations are just being addressed and and hopefully resolved now. So um, yes, some things are, are still lingering out there at this time. Jody, you mentioned some of the difficulties, I think, from an employment perspective and maintaining that loyalty, I think, was the term you used. Schools have been contracting support services for decades, right? Like historically, you know, they've contracted out transportation, IT, food and custodial services. Have you seen a rise in other areas, teachers, et cetera, that have been uh, outsourced and contracted out post-COVID? One of the issues that's so important in this type of work is the labor management relationship between the employees 
and the unions and the employer. And one one item that we like to tell our clients is you can't necessarily go from zero to 60 overnight. And contracts take a long time to negotiate. We, we deal with issues that are continually evolving as the law changes and, as Avery indicated, things that we have to deal with when, when a pandemic strikes. That being said, outside of the labor management relationship, some employers are faced with being forced to outsource uh, certain services that typically a, a union would provide. And that can go across the board, as you said. Typically, it's been bus drivers, transportation services, food services. And that is still an ongoing battle that uh, employers and school districts need to deal with, sometimes on a daily basis. So, Jody, if I'm expanding on that, what are some of the ramifications of outsourcing school staff? How does outsourcing intersect with collective bargaining agreements? There's actually a couple of issues that come up when we're dealing with outsourcing, and they are both legal issues and I don't want to say necessarily political issues, but community issues. So what we are dealing with is typically the the work that could be outsourced is work that was traditionally done by a bargaining unit member. That bargaining unit work, obviously a union would like to hold on to it and, and, and keep that work for their bargaining unit group. When an employer is faced with a challenge like this, as I said earlier, this has been impacted because of of COVID in terms of the workforce changing. And there's so many open positions right now and employers and districts are really looking to fill these positions. We, We deal with a situation where a union will be upset, bottom line, about work being outsourced, work that was their bargaining unit work. And in order to deal with that, they will either file um, an unfair labor practice with the Pennsylvania Labor Relations Board or a grievance saying that the the employer, i.e. the school district, has violated the contract by giving their work to an outside source. And so that's something that we have to deal with. We always recommend that if an employer is looking to outsource some of their work, that they, they speak with their solicitor um, and or in an employment attorney such as Avery and I to discuss some of the ramifications that they could have as a result of doing that. But outside of that, I think one of the mo- really important issues is how this could affect a community at large. A lot of the, the people who work for an employer, a school district, are within the community that that district serves. And they want to be employed by the district. These employees want to feel as though they're giving back to their their community. And if if outsourcing is done, the outsourcing sometimes pulls in people from outside of that district that really don't have a connection to the district. And I don't want to say that they don't care about the district, but they don't have that same involvement that somebody who within that district would have. So that that brings up issues that at the community has to deal with as, as a whole, including the board, when, when a board of directors is making a decision like this. I seem to remember that it was Act 39 of 2018 that essentially required the, the incoming third-party servicer to allow former district employees to to interview for those positions. A lot of times during bargaining, um, the union will request that the contract contain language indicating that the employer or the district will not outsource work that belongs to the bargaining unit. But even if that language is not included within a collective bargaining agreement, the union can make an argument if the district or the employer outsources that that work is 
the bargaining unit work. And it could open up an employer or a school district to a grievance or an unfair labor practice charge uh, before the Pennsylvania Labor Relations Board. Now, Avery, what are some precautions that a school administrator should take before signing a contract for outsourcing? If you've gone through the process that Jody is describing and you have you know, union consent to outsource these positions or you, you're not dealing with a union position, a lot of times we'll get presented with a contract from one of our school clients to review from a third party provider. And we've seen all different types of provisions in these contracts. Some are very straightforward, but some, as this world has been evolving, have m- provisions in them that we see more honestly, on the private sector side, where you have non-competition language in there, um, non-solicitation language, where the school is not able to hire a third-party provider's employee or contractor within a certain amount of time um, after they've provided services to the school, um, or they'll have to pay a fee to the provider, which can be a large percentage of that employee's salary. There can be language about cancellations, competition, you know, whether or not you're restricted as a school district from working with other third-party providers during that period of time. And they can, you know, charge a school district a finder's fee if the worker decides to stay on. Um, there's also, you know, you have to look at termination provisions. And really, some of these providers are across the country and they want to be governed by the law in a state that perhaps is like on the West Coast as opposed to Pennsylvania. Um, and you don't want your client to be dragged into litigation in in a, in a state across the country. So, uh, you know, these, these contracts can be pretty evolved. I would definitely recommend that if a school is considering it, that they retain legal counsel or, or go to their solicitor if they have one um, to review it before they enter into it. Do you see a set term for these contracts? I mean, are they one year? Are they five? Could they be anything? I mean, it depends, of course, on the on the contract. It, you know, if, if a school district has, for example, a transportation contract, and, and that's one area where our, our clients have had outsourcing in place for many years in some cases. This is not a new outsourcing situation for many school districts. Uh, but In a contract like that, where you're dealing with very complex circumstances, you're talking about really big dollars, you're talking about massive equipment, number of equipment, number of outsourced contractors, uh, bus routes that can be complex. Usually those will be for multiple years because it just doesn't make sense to go through that contracting, that negotiation process every single year. Some of the substitute teacher contracts or the paras could be for a year, especially if you're dealing with a highly specialized person like a guidance counselor, where it's a, you know, a one-on, it's a relationship with that specific person. That could be for a year. But we we try to make sure that those contracts are not auto renewal in most cases because our clients have so much to keep track of on a regular basis. And I think, you know, we might talk a little bit about the administration of these contracts and what kind of responsibilities that puts on the school administration to monitor. But it's something that we have seen our clients miss the termination window on an auto renewal. And then you're stuck with it for another year when maybe you don't want to be. Uh, So that's, you know, another thing to to remember. What about training? Who, who bears the burden of training? Is that the vendor? Does the school maintain the burden? So this is where when we're reviewing these things, we really try to be careful about how things are worded because one of the most important things in these contracts is to to drive home the point in the agreement that these 
employees or contractors, whatever the relationship is between the third party provider and the people that they're retaining to, to do the work, that they are not our employees, meaning our, the school district or the school. So they're, you know, our, our employees as a, a public school are entitled to, you know, in many cases, some very comprehensive benefits, pensions, health care, and obviously salary. We don't want there to be a finding at any point in that relationship that the third party providers people are our employees and are entitled to those benefits. I mean, one of the benefits of outsourcing is that you're not maintaining all of those benefits and paying into PCERs for those individuals. So from an economic standpoint, I know Jody's mentioned some of the, you know, the the cons of outsourcing to the community. But um, when you when you draft a contract like that, when you talk about training or monitoring, there's going to have to be some training or, you know, providing some level of knowledge and, uh, you know, expectations from the school to the provider and to their their people. But if you constantly refer to this ongoing monitoring and training and oversight and and use words like that throughout the contract, there creates an argument that from a legal perspective that those those other the third party providers employees are our employees um, and you open yourself up uh, to you know a finding of potentially a joint employer relationship where now you're responsible for things like workers compensation and unemployment compensation and that they're not actually supposed to be paid as a 1099 relationship but there are employees so it just opens up you know a host of of potential liability and one provision we often put in our agreements when we're doing these third-party contracts is that if there were ever to be a finding that their employees are our employees, that they will they will indemnify us, that they will take on the liability for that, whatever that cost is. So it sounds a little bit like, if, if I can maybe sum it up, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you know, you want the training necessarily to be the responsibility of the third party, but the district at the end of the day is still... Re- liable for any required training. So the point would be for the district to make sure the third party is doing the training that they're supposed to be doing. Make sure and communicate what that training looks like, the expectations, right? Exactly. And I think it's also important with regard to background checks, given uh, the public employer issue, that that's something that the district would, would still want to have confirmation. The third party vendor is making sure that background checks are, are satisfied. And that's something that we put in in all of our agreements that that we're receiving copies of all of those and that they have to notify us if anything changes. We have the right to get updated clearances if we believe that there's some reason that the background check would have changed. Because ultimately, whether or not these individuals that are coming in and providing services are you know, by the law, our employees or not, the safety of our school buildings, our our staff and our students is of utmost importance. And the public perception is they're not going to care at all what the legal relationship was. And and, and that really shouldn't matter when it comes to safety issues. You know, I just want to thank you both for coming in and and chatting with me a little bit about some of the the pros and cons and, and concerns with outsourcing. I read something recently that said the education staffing industry generated something like $1.2 billion in revenue in 2021. That's double the figure from 2012. So I think it's very clear that outsourcing has grown exponentially. 
uh, which has probably simply exacerbated all these issues and, and brought them to the forefront for most districts in areas that really they probably weren't given as much attention in the past. So thanks again for, for joining me today. Thanks, John. Thank you. Up next, my co-host Rich Campbell talks with Anthony Pigeon, Director of HR for Southern High School District. Joining us today in the Legal Lunchroom, we have Tony Pigeon, Director of Human Resources for Southern Lehigh School District. Welcome, Tony. It's great to have you here today. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate being here. So, Tony, just talking to you before, you've had an interesting career. Tell us a little bit about your career and how you got where you are today. I've been in education for about 30 or 31 years now. Most of my career was spent at Colonial IU 20 as a teacher, assistant principal, principal, and then I moved into the central office as the director of human resources. I left Colonial IU 20 and went to Allentown Hmm. School District as the uh, executive director of human resources, and I was there for about three and a half years. Wow. And as you already mentioned, currently I'm at uh, Southern Lehigh School District as the director of human resources. We just had on Avery and Jody from our firm to talk the HR legal perspective, but you give us the boots on the ground perspective. Can you discuss some of the practical concerns around school staffing, either in your experience or in your conversations with other HR professionals? Most of the HR professionals, most of the school districts are struggling to find staff. Right. Um, at Southern Lehigh, we're doing okay. And, and okay. We, we are having applicants for our positions, not as many applicants, but we're, we're doing okay. What do you think has been causing the staffing shortages? Is it one factor, multiple factors? I think it's absolutely multiple factors. You know, when we're looking specifically at teachers, there was a, a situation back in 2008, 2010, Uh, even a little after that, maybe 2012, where some school districts locally were laying teachers off, were cutting their staffs down. So when you take a look at that as a a student coming out of high school, going into a college, are you going to go into an education career if you know there aren't jobs available? Right. So the number of teachers being produced by the state of Pennsylvania has really gone down. We were in a downturn uh, portion of that. Now I believe the numbers are coming back up because there are jobs available now. For our support staffs and, and those type of positions, the, the pay scales for the education world weren't the best. You know, typically the education world um, provided wonderful benefits and those other incentives and the pay wasn't as great. And, you know, now people are going into other jobs because, you know, the fast food market, other types of classified staff positions, either right. warehouses or those type of things, they're paying better. They are. That's true. So, you know, we're challenged to find people to meet our needs. Yeah. And I, I can actually really relate to what you said about uh, teaching around 2010. My wife was looking for a job. She's now a teacher in the Bethlehem area school district. But there was something like a thousand applicants for, for six positions at that time. And it, it was a daunting task for her. And I think that's since come around a bit. And so folks coming out of school can be a bit more optimistic. So is this the new normal or is, is it sort of trending in a better direction today? We're still very challenged to find some of our um, positions and especially some of the harder to fill positions. Right. You know, psychology, special mm. education, world languages, uh, math and science are always up there at hard to fill positions. Right. So th- they're still challenging. Those applicant pools aren't where they were. Hopefully they'll come back. From an HR perspective for our classified staff, I think you really need to look at what you're looking for specifically 
and and target that in your advertising for that position. Okay. So that just being said, if I have a classified position, I'm sending out information to my local community. I'm not going to get somebody to drive an hour to be an associate teacher or you know a paraprofessional right. in a school district. It's not worth it for the individual. But my local community might have individuals who could fill that position. A lot of times our communities don't necessarily understand what is expected or what is required of the staff. Right. So if we can get that message out and have those communications with the community, our chances are much better. So again, you can use social media or other means to, to attract classified staff. For our professional staff, then we could use some of the more traditional means, whether it be so, uh, you know, a third-party provider for advertising or something of that nature. Let's pivot then to a topic that Jody and Avery were just on discussing. And let's talk more specifically about outsourcing. What's your impression of the issue, the pros and the cons, if you will, and perhaps how has it evolved over your career? Outsourcing has been typically in my career has been around transportation, uh, food service, custodial staff. Those are typical, the outsourced individuals. And, and, you know, it's, it's, a plus and a minus to the school district. From a district point of view, it it gets very challenging when you're dealing with the community and the people who are serving in those positions typically come from your community. Right. You know, I don't know of any district that really wants to outsource their community members, but when you're looking at economics and, and the ability to find people for those positions, it's sometimes easier for somebody who focuses just on that and not the whole uh, gambit of positions that a school district is required to hire. Right. So, you know, that that can be easier for a, a private provider to find somebody for those positions. The good of that is that, you know, as an HR director, I don't have to advertise. I don't have to onboard and hire individuals in that capacity. The bad part about it is that now I need to trust that provider right. and, and not just trust them, but follow up with them on training, on background checks and clearances and all those type of things to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm also making sure that our children are protected at all times. Touching on your experience with the outside providers, how has that been for for you specifically? And then uh, have you had any experience talking to other HR professionals? And what would you say their take is on dealing with these providers? The outside providers are wonderful. They do a great job. They they provide a, a wonderful service for the most part. But as a district, you need to do your homework. Right. So if you're looking for an outside provider, you need to really set the standard of what you're looking for. Ask specific you know, interview questions to that provider to make sure you're getting what they claim they can provide to you. Also, you need to be evaluating on a regular basis and reviewing and working and communicating with that provider. It's not something that you, you, know, you provide a transportation service and you never talk to those individuals again. Uh, until their contract's up. You have to do that almost on a daily basis. Substitutes is a very big one. We did a whole interview series for numerous sub-providers until we dedicated to one. And then it was an ongoing process of evaluating the staff that they're bringing in and, you know, checking clearances and background checks and keeping copies of those and, and working with the provider to make sure that they're providing the proper training for the individuals so they can work with the students in a very positive and productive way. I'd like to return to the topic of the community and what impact outsourcing has on the community. For example, we've seen parents, community members, and school employees stage protests and walkouts over outsourcing concerns. You know, there's a couple different ways of looking at that. From from an HR perspective, I look at it 
as as where uh, am I going to find the best candidates to work with the students and and to be in the school district the most appropriate way? We'll pay for individuals, but we need to make sure that we're getting the the top of the line. Now, with the community, what's been said to me is that there's a control issue, and we're trying to take people's jobs away from them from the the community. Uh, that's never the case. So typically, when we look to outsource, we're we're keeping those same individuals in those positions. And, you know, typically the salaries would kind of remain the same. There might okay. be some some slight differences. It's the benefit piece that really that yeah. is yeah. The, the big piece there. Um, the benefits would be not nearly as fruitful for somebody leaving the school district and going to a private provider. Right. So they might be paying more for their health care. Their coverage might not be as good. But economically, you know, school districts have a finite amount of money. And, you know, we're we're based off the community's paying those taxes to get people in our position. So right. it's really a, it's a tough, tough situation. And like I said earlier, the school districts typically don't want to do that, but sometimes they're forced to. Of course. Yeah. And I think that was a nice lead in if we could sort of flip the issue. What about the outsourced workers themselves? Do you think it's difficult on them and perhaps leads to a lower quality of life? Uh, I think it could. Again, right. salary-wise, you know, I, I haven't seen so many differences okay. in salary. I know I can speak to the substitute rates. Um, when I, we worked with a private provider when I was in Allentown. The sub rates were the exact same. They paid the um, exact amount of money that we were paying as a school district. Okay. You know, then they had their, their upcharge on top of that. But those individuals could work as much as they wanted to but they would have to buy into the benefits for the, the sub-provider. So right. again, it was much more expensive to buy benefits from that provider. If they were full-time employees of the school district, they would be under the benefits of the district and it would be cheaper for them. So, you know, from their perspective, I don't know that the, the amount of money changes all that much. It's that benefit piece. And also when you work for the school district, you feel part of that community much more so, I think. If you're not working for the district, you're working for a contractor who's providing services to the district. I'm not sure how that, that employee feels for that person. That could be challenging or it could be wonderful. It depends right. on how they're accepted within the district. So let's just talk briefly as an HR director. Is outsourcing easier or more difficult to administer, uh, and does it alleviate or add to your administrative burden? Is there a, uh, a letter D for that one, all of the above? <laughs> Initially, you might foresee it as being easier. Right. You don't have to do yeah, the recruiting. Yeah. You don't have to do the hiring, those type of, of things for, for those type of positions. You know, if you're looking at transportation, substitutes, you know, food service, you're not talking one or two people. You're talking right. a, a larger number of folks. So again, without doing those, you know, filling those hard to find positions, that could be easier. In the long run, uh, I think it's about the same amount of work because now you need to follow up with that provider to make sure that, you know, clearances are all collected and that they're right. approved, that anybody who is, uh, you know, needs training is getting the appropriate training. There's some drawbacks also. And one of the things that have often been told to me from the attorneys at King Spry is be careful of the dual employment. Right. And and watch how those are set up now. King Spry has done a wonderful job of setting up contracts where that's really not an issue. Thank but you. But it can still be if, you know, if an employee, employer, one of my coworkers says we can do X, Y, Z, or let's provide training for this person, not knowing what's in the contract. So you, you have to be, make sure everybody's aware of, of, if somebody is a subcontractor or somebody is an employee and who's providing those trainings, who's doing those things, because we don't want to make those dual employment opportunities available simply because that would be a cost burden to the district then. If an independent contractor is arrested or otherwise breaches an employment condition, 
How would that be handled? Although they're not our employees, we, we use the same standards as we would for our employees. There's something called Act 24, which is the arrest and conviction report. Right. So I would expect our um, contractors to be working with their staff to, to have them know that all of our employees, our, our current Southern Lehigh employees, would need to fill out that Act 24 report within 72 hours of being arrested or convicted of items that are listed within Act 24. We would expect to get a copy of that and then act appropriately in working with our attorneys to make sure that that person was still eligible to be working with our students. Right. But there's a big trust piece there because, you know, unless I read about it in the newspaper, I'm not going to know somebody was arrested or convicted. We're not looking to pry into people's home lives or their personal right. lives. We're looking to keep the children safe. Let's bring this full circle then. What advice would you give to other HR directors regarding staffing shortages, outsourcing, or, or anything we've touched on today? If I was looking to fill positions for staff shortages, I would target that position specifically. If it was a classified position, I would target my community or the neighboring communities and, and use social media, use some, some local type of advertising, something of that nature. If I was looking for professional employees or administrative employees, I, I would look at maybe some third-party advertising agencies, and, right. and we use a couple of those now. Hmm. We get a lot of hits. And again, I use free versions. I don't use the, oh. the paid versions. Okay. And, and we're getting people that are applying for our positions. Without sourcing, I would really, really focus on the critical needs that the district is looking for and, and interview multiple agencies, not just one, to see what they could offer to make sure you have some critical success questions on what, you know, what it would take for that employee or that contractor to be successful in that role. They could take a look at some specific questions and answers and see what they could provide to you. Also, by having multiple groups there, you can start some basic negotiations between right, them, right. realizing that they're going and, and vying against each other at that point. There were some really wonderful insights in there. And Tony, I'd like to say thank you for coming on the podcast today. We really, truly do appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you inviting me. Thank you very much. Another successful podcast in the books. What great interviews we had today. Thanks again to our guests for joining us. You know, one thing that stuck out to me, Rich, is as I was listening to both my interview with Avery and Jody and your interview with Tony Pigeon, was that like so many other areas, districts find themselves between a rock and a hard place. No matter what paths they take, they're constantly walking the tightrope to maintain balance between ensuring they have the staff to operate and maintain a school district and respecting the cultural climate of their employees. With that, thanks for joining us today for The Legal Lunchroom. If you like our show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit our website at kingspry.com to find more education law resources and programming. This podcast is a production of King Spry's Education Law Practice Group. It's meant to be strictly informational and does not constitute legal advice. Should you have any questions about our topic today, please consult with your local legal counsel. This episode was produced by Steel Pixel Studios. Our theme music is by Don Lotney. You can find out more about King Spry's Education Law Practice by going to our website at kingspry.com. Until next time, I'm Rich Campbell. And I'm Jonathan Huerta, and we hope you'll join us again in The Legal Lunchroom.